The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. About 80% of the church within five minutes. So there's a huge difference of focus. The people in our church only knew I was doing some big citywide things and networking leaders, but I didn't get into the nuance of what that was or what that meant because they're not really geared for that kind of uh, expansion and that kind of ministry. Got it. Got it. So there's the, the micro focus versus the macro focus and, and the pioneering. So if, if someone is planting as a, as a church planter, they start a ministry here and now they move on and start another ministry here and then start another ministry here. And the next thing they've got spiritual sons and daughters who are duplicating things and growing and they're planting churches that would suggest to you that's more of an apostolic calling than just a local pastor. Correct. Yeah. For example, Paul started churches in 31 cities and what he did was raise up leaders and elders as soon as he could, like in Thessalon, as the church in Thessalonica, uh, within two or three months, he had elders raised up because of persecution. He had to leave. And he was able to participate locally through the elders, through the congregation, and they in turn participated globally by financially supporting him, supplying him people to be part of his team, and of course to pray, to labor with him in prayer. So there was a global missional participation in each church through Paul, and there was local participation for Paul through the elders and through his contact with the congregation. So, so as, as you look back through history, do you see people that you would consider to be apostles, even though they didn't have that name, like a John Wesley or a Hudson Taylor, would they, would they be apostles in function, even though they didn't use those names or titles? Yes, of course. Historically, the bishops of the church were the successors of the apostles. And so even after John the Apostle passed away, he had people like Polycarp, uh, Papias, uh, Ignatius, uh, and others who were part of his school that would carry on the teachings and the, the traditions of the church. And some of them weren't even called bishops at first, but eventually, by the time of Ignatius, they were called bishops. And... Many think it's because, out of respect for the original 12 apostles, they didn't call them apostles, mm -hmm. but they did call them bishops. And so you have a history of apostolicity right after all the original apostles passed on. And uh, whether it's through Polycarp or Irenaeus of the second century, uh, Adonatius, Augustine, St. Maximus Confessor, um, and then some of the popes like Gregory the Great, uh, and then, you know, moving forward to uh, John Hus, uh, Nicholas von Zinzendorf, John Wesley, uh, you know, so many others that we could mention, even D.L. Moody. I would say Billy Graham was an apostle. He not only evangelized, he started, uh, he helped start um, schools like Fuller, Christianity Today magazine. He helped launch the National Association of Evangelicals with people like esteemed scholar John Scott, John Stott, and uh, Harold Ockengay and others. So Billy Graham has an institution and an institutional influence that transcends his bodily uh, presence on the earth, uh, and it's still making an impact. So 
there's always been apostles, even if we don't call them apostles. That's just the gift that God gives to the church to advance the gospel. So what, do you think it's helpful to identify people as apostles to, to enable them to understand their calling better? Or is it abusive to have someone called an apostle? Well, you know, the funny thing is most people who call themselves apostles have very little apostolic fruit uh-huh. in my nation. And the ones that don't call themselves apostles, that are apostles, are numerous. Most of the true apostles do not call themselves that. There are some exceptions to that, of course. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think it's harmful when you go in a region and you commission someone to be an apostle without the other church fathers and mothers being involved, without bearing witness to that person's reputation and fruit, and then without a process involved where, wherein without doing it the right way, that person may think they have more authority than other people in the region, or the other pastors may think that person is being lifted up over others. And very, very rarely have I seen people go into a region commissioning people as apostles and it going okay. Most of the time, it causes problems because, you know, it's probably not necessary. It's better to be done in-house than do some kind of public thing uh, without the respect of the other leaders. For example, when I was consecrated a bishop, there were local and national bishops, 12 involved in my commissioning. It was a college of bishops. There were 12 apostolic leaders involved that convened an apostolic presbytery. So 24 people laid hands on me locally and nationally. 50 altogether were involved. Mm. And so there was no doubt as to the validity of the process and or the commissioning based on their opinion. Got it. So for, for those not familiar, there have been some leaders that have gone into other countries or cities and designated, okay, Pastor Smith here, we recognize you as the apostle of the region. And I was like, who gave you the right to do that? You know, and the, as opposed to like the people that I know really apostolic and my friend Yesu Panam in India, who's planted over 10,000 churches in tribal regions, who started ministries in, in multiple nations, who has raised up uh, you know, has schools and orphanages and hospitals and, you know, literally launch movements. Um, everyone recognizes who he is because of the authority that God's given him and the function of his ministry. And it's just my privilege to serve together with him, but that goes before him. So they're, they're having these abuses and a lot of the so-called, uh, the accusations against so-called NAR, which we'll get into a little later. We've talked about it before, the Apostolic Reformation. A lot of the, the abuses are just that, abuses that we've never agreed with or practiced. So we come back. I want to dig into your book more, and then we'll, we'll talk about the statement that we put out together, norinchristiannationalism.com. But the book, friends, is the book. What do these guys mean about apostolic ministry? They say they're not part of NAR. Well, what, what do they believe? This is the book to get, and it's, it's written by one of the key authorities. Again, I couldn't think of someone better to write the book than my friend, Joe Matera, Bishop Dr. Joe Matera, The Global Apostolic Movement and the Progress of the Gospel. You can get it in paperback, or if you like to read on Kindle, you can get it as an ebook to read Joseph Matera, M-A-T-T-E-R-A. We'll be right back. It's 
The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today. Special broadcast with my dear friend and colleague, Joe Matera. It's, it's scary sometimes how much we, we are in sync on different issues, but uh, it's not like we're the only ones. Many feel the same things we feel, and that's why it's so good to have material, written material out. Joe writes a lot, writes articles like I do, has lots of books out. I wrote the foreword for his, his book on prophetic ministry, which is, is so clear and incisive. But the book we want to talk about today, The Global Apostolic Movement and the Progress of the Gospel. So, Joe, I'm asking you to do this. This is not you boasting about the book. But since you've done the research, what makes your book unique? What's in your book that has not been put out in comprehensive form before? Well, I'm writing as an insider, not just a scholar. So I was a part of the very beginnings of the ICA movement that was launched by my overseer, John Kelly, then took taken over by Peter Wagner, then given back to John. And then they commissioned me to start the United States Coalition of Apostolic Leaders. I've been involved front and center with the top, some of the top international, national apostolic leaders in the world. And U.S. Cal was probably and is probably the largest collection of apostolic leaders in the nation that get together. So um, I'm writing as a practitioner, an insider. I give the history of ICA, then it became ICAL and U.S. Cal, uh, some uh, background detail, some definitions from people like Peter and some of the prominent writers that have shaped the apostolic movement like Kevin Connor uh, and uh, Alan Hirsch, Dr. Ron Cottle, and some other eminent figures that have had an enormous influence in the world, especially in the shaping of the epistock movement in the last 20 years. So the book combines practical insight on how a network is built, how to build a, a, a uh, apostolic kind of church using our church as a model, and then also uh, scholarly research that shows what it means to be apostolic, what it doesn't mean, some of the cultural challenges that apostolic leaders have in different continents, some of the next generation challenges apostolic leaders will have. And then we talk about the potential of a huge convergence between the apostolic, the charismatic, the evangelical movements that is taking place right now, where there may not be much of a difference in the next 20 years. That's how much the apostolic movement is growing, expanding, and even the language and the practice and knowledge of it is penetrating even denominational Pentecostal movements as well as evangelical movements and uh, traditional uh, denominational movements. It's amazing what's happening. It's probably the fastest expression of the church today uh, that we see. So let, let's just break this down a little bit because people are hearing this and they say, wait, Peter Wagner, and you said New, Apostol New Apostolic Reformation, and isn't that all this bad stuff and all the abuses and crazy teachings and super apostles who have a special authority and making these decrees and so on. So let's, let's break this down. When, when Peter Wagner, initially as a former missionary, then as a seminary professor and a theorist, you know, just trying to analyze movements, when he first talked about, quote, a new apostolic reformation, he was looking at 
church growth over like a hundred year period, early 1900s from China to Latin America, and noticing that a lot of it was happening outside of traditional denominations. In fact, I was told that he originally was just going to call it post-denominational, but then that could seem to be insulting to those that were in healthy denominations. But to him, it was, it was, there was, there was no unity of leaders. It was just a spiritual phenomenon that he identified as churches growing around the world or movements growing that were outside of traditional denominations. Is that, is that fairly accurate in terms of what he was first looking at? Yeah. Well, in Fuller theological seminary in 1995, he convened a meeting with about 500 people called a symposium on post-denominationalism. And that was where he met, uh, apostolic leaders like John Kelly that began to influence him and help him understand this burgeoning movement that was greatly uh, impacting the church all over the world. So I never heard him say that, but I'm assuming that to be the case, he probably initially wanted to call post-denominationalism because that was the name of his symposium in 1995. Got it. So, so it was not an organized thing where people, this leader knows that leader, more churches growing around the world, and he was putting a name on it. He was trying to describe it as a missiologist. What then yeah. happened with what was specifically associated with Peter Wagner's name as the leader of the New Apostolic Reformation, otherwise known as NAR, N-A-R? What, what then shifted as it was something associated more with his leadership and certain distinctives, some of which we'd agree with, some of which we wouldn't agree with. How, how did that take place? Well, John Kelly initiated I, ICA, and then after two years, he handed it over to Peter, because Peter had more name recognition, and he thought he could take the movement further, and he did. He It, it went from several dozen to almost 500 members within five years, uh, not all of them were true apostolic. Uh, you know, many of them were just prophetic intercessors that followed him from his teaching on spiritual warfare. But, uh, but anyway, it did popularize the movement. And the word NAR, or the New Apostolic Reformation, was just him as a sociologist, researcher, trying to put a name to somebody. It was not talking about some global conspiracy or organization that was able to garner everybody around the world who call themselves apostles. Uh, most of these apostolic leaders never even heard of the NAR until probably recently since right. death organized. Um, but we have to understand Peter was not a theologian, so he did not have a concise understanding theologically of apostolicity and uh, some of the things that we're concerned about. Um, and also we have to understand he was never a pastor, so that's another issue. He was speaking as a parachurch leader, as a professor, and certain things that he focused on, uh, you know, like he helped commission apostles and different things in different regions. Um, he just didn't know any better how that can cause problems with pastors. So whenever somebody's trying to restore an imbalance, they make a lot of mistakes, and that's what happened with ICA. Um, Say 80% of all of it was great, but there were some things that were done that upset some of us. And uh, I was even going to leave ICA and start another movement. Um, I even had my first meeting in the Newark Airport area and had about 40 key leaders come. And then uh, 
Peter Wagner called up John Kelly and said, I'm giving you ICA. And then John called me and said, Joe, don't, don't do this. Just, you know, let's work together with ICA. And that's what I did. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was upset over it. Look, what we, what me and you said about NAR, we've been saying the same things for 15 years. I mean, I called out Todd Bentley when he was in his height of glory with the Lakeland things, with some of the things he taught and we were against him getting commissioned as an apostle. So some of the things we're articulating now is not in response to NAR uh, critique. Uh, we've been talking about this stuff for 10, 15 years. Yep. And in fact, so I see International Coalition of Apostles. I never joined it because of differences. When you took it over, shifted the name to International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, and asked me to join, I said, yeah, I mean, ab absolutely, because I knew we were in harmony. We, we had been grieved over the same abuses. You know, I, I expressed recently to, to Doug Gavette and Holly Pivick, you spent some hours with them on the phone. I spent, had some dialogues, I've spent four and a half hours with them face-to-face -face dialoguing uh, for future footage on American gospel documentaries. Uh, and we agree on some of the abuses and wrong things. We agree, we've, we've never taught. The, the abuses are things we never taught. We always repudiate it, which is why it's, so bizarre that we're so-called leaders of NAR, whereas you say, what are the fundamental tenets, X, Y, Z? Well, we disagree with all those. But, you know, to the hypercritics, it, it doesn't matter, unfortunately. But, you know, talking to Doug and Holly, I told them recently, you know, our, our statement, NAR and Christian nationalism is not a response to them. We're just reiterating things we've believed for years and addressing abuses and errors and saying this is what we, we do believe. If to, to respond to them, we take book-length responses where we agree, where we differ. But... Do you go through a lot of that history in your book, The Global Apostolic Movement and the Progress of the Gospel? Well, I go over a lot of the critiques that Doug and Hiley have. I actually recommend people to read their two books. I thought it was very good. I uh, didn't agree with everything. But I'd say 90% of all their concerns, I had the same concerns. Some of the extremes in spiritual warfare, the extremes in Seven Mountain Mandate, uh, the extremes in autocratic um, – leadership apostolically, uh, some of the other things they brought out. So if you read my book, it's going to deconstruct a lot of the stuff that the NAR stands for. And by the way, I've been writing this for seven years. So again, it wasn't in response to Doug and Holly or anything else. It was something that I've been involved in. Uh, and, and so I try to bring balance, biblical balance, and, uh, and at the same time, not quenching the spirit of spiritual warfare, so-called, or apostolicity or the prophetic, but trying to bring out the theological perspective from a practitioner standpoint, uh, what the Bible says about these important truths. Yeah, and, and again, it's not just you've written about these things, been working on this magnum opus for seven years, but these were convictions you had. And again, conversations you and I had years ago. And that's why, again, we, are, we gladly, proudly defend what we believe. Absolutely. We're Pentecostal. We're charismatic. We believe in fivefold ministry. Absolutely. We, we're, we're, we rejoice in that. We believe it's scriptural and biblical what God's doing. But if you accuse us of holding things we don't believe, that's what we distance ourselves for. And that's why I said to Doug and Holly, why do you think I am taking issue with these things if I differ with what you differ with? Why am I raising the issue? It's because of the broad brush that's painted with where people are wrongly put in categories. All right, we'll be right back.
It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, Michael Brown here, your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Tune in to the broadcast, I guarantee you, every day, every day you'll get a healthy dose of moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Today, focusing on spiritual clarity, the important book, one-of-a-kind book by Dr. Joseph Matera, M-A-T-T-E-R-A, The Global Apostolic Movement and the Progress of the Gospel. So, Joe, when, when I've been part of uh, Zoom calls with you and leadership meetings and getting to meet some, some guys you work with uh, around the world, there's some people with some extraordinary ministries in different countries. You know, I'm just getting to know them. You're much more uh, connected to a lot of these worldwide folks than I am. But I've, I've been blown away by some of what God is, is doing in what we're referring to as this apostolic movement. Can you, you may want to mention names or not, or just countries, but can you give me a glimpse of some of, of the progress of the gospel that's happening through apostolic ministry in different countries? Well, yeah, I have a friend uh, in China who is one of the top leaders of the underground and overground church. He's got favor even with the Chinese communist uh, government believe it or not and um, and so he is teaching the way of Christ and his apostles and he's going to work on getting my book translated asked me to mentor him um, and there's an extraordinary expansion of Christianity and they would identify with all the principles in my book uh, I won't name his name because of the persecution yeah another friend uh, in India uh, has one of the largest church planning movements in the world, one of the largest churches in India, maybe the largest church, and he is getting this book translated. He absolutely loves what we're talking about, and he's based his church upon the principles in this book, not because of the book, but because of similar influences. And uh, just extraordinary expansion of the gospel taking place in India. Yeah. Uh, I was this week with some global leaders. One, his name is Tamo Naidu, good friend of mine. The last time I was in South Africa, he hosted me in three cities. He brought as many as 4,000 leaders from all over Africa and uh, had me teach for three days on two different occasions. Another one, Segi Govender in Durban, he convenes three to 500 pastors twice a week, mm. twice a week the greatest example of one church, one city I've ever seen. He's another dear friend of mine. Um, and uh, they're doing extraordinary work. And uh, we're going to be shipping many of my books over there. And um, and so and also another leader, Gustavo Lara Unhe is the network he leads. And he's got hundreds of movement leaders that converge in different parts of Latin America. Uh, I was with him a few months ago, and he must have had 7,000 people in his conference, 4,000 marketplace leaders, at least 1,000 pastors. Uh, he brought me in to teach for uh, several days, and uh, he's a close friend of mine. He represents an explosion of apostolicity that's taking place in Latin America. Uh, my other dear friend, Ben Poss, uh, he's a local leader here in New York City. He's got probably the second largest Spanish-speaking church in the city, and he's got huge conferences, five to 800 pastors showing up um, from all over the country, 
and uh, we're very, very close, and we're working together for this global movement. I recently met some leaders from England and Scotland that are uh, leading large movements and networks that are affecting the world. And uh, boy, I could go on and on. In ICAL, we have a guy named Rene Terranosa. He's got a church of over 100,000 in the Amazon jungle. He's got 3,000 uh, apostolic leaders connected to him, 25,000 pastors. Another friend of mine, Peter Hornig, at a church of 160,000, it might even be a lot more than that, uh, in the capital, Peru. And he's one of the main leaders of ICAL. Um, and uh, a dear friend of mine has the largest church in Rwanda, Apostle Paul Gitwaza. I preached to over 20,000 people and did conferences for 500 pastors from all over Africa every year uh, for him in Rwanda. And then in um, uh, in Nigeria, my friend Bishop Joseph Adafarasin convened 500 uh, apostolic and prophetic leaders in Lagos and then in Abuja. Uh, then we have uh, extraordinary leaders in um, Kampala. I was going there and my friend Bishop Arnold uh, uh, Mwange would convene 2,200 pastors from all over Uganda and Africa. And I'd come twice a year to teach. I could go on and on and yeah. on and on. So, so well, that, yeah, this, and, and, and you're not there telling people how to get rich. You're not there telling them how to, that Jesus is the key to financial success. So just sign up here and get rich. You're not preaching a carnal American prosperity gospel. And a lot of these churches are thriving in the midst of, of poverty and persecution. And so for everybody listening that you say, I don't believe in apostolic ministry today. Well, what would you call these leaders who are leaders of movements, who are, they're not just local church pastors, they're pastors of pastors, they are, they are pastors of national leaders, many times government leaders they're discipling. They, you know, again, people I've worked with, Joe, you're, you're far more connected to these folks around the world than I am, but some that I've worked with, I mean, that, I don't know another biblical term to use to describe them. They're not primarily prophets. They're not primarily evangelists. They're not primarily pastors. They're not primarily teachers. But they do all these different things and lead whole movements and have the ability to gather thousands of leaders together and, and bring them to one place to be trained and equipped to go out. Great commission. I mean, God's doing amazing things in the midst of a lot of apostasy in America and Europe. God is really doing amazing things around the world. And the key thing is discipleship because the growth is so rapid. And that's why getting your book out to leaders is so important. So, so leaders in particular, I encourage you to read the global apostolic movement and the progress of the gospel. Uh, Joe, when, when uh, I don't know if you can talk about this. You've, you've been in the Middle East recently. Are you allowed to talk about that publicly or no? Uh, I guess so. All right. So this is, to me, another aspect of your apostolic calling, that you train leaders, that you influence people, not just in the church, but in the marketplace to do the work of evangelists and things like that. But you've also been able to interface with governments in, in different parts of the world. So what happened with, with that? You've had some extraordinary trips recently. Yeah, well, through mutual friends, uh, after the, put it this way, after the explosion in Beirut, God really pricked my heart to mm. do something about it. So one of the leaders, apostolic leaders in Boston, who's Lebanese, Raful Najen, 
uh, knew three pastors in the city of Beirut. And we had Zoom meetings with them. We were able to raise a lot of money and help them. We started something called the Lebanon Project. We took our first trip in September of 2021. God gave us so much favor that uh, we were able to be uh, through speaking in gatherings of uh, parliamentary, I don't know what they call them, but top leaders in the government and church. Uh, God was able to use me to get favor with a lot of these leaders. And then I became very close with the general, General Abbas Ibrahim, a Shiite Muslim who provides security for us everywhere we go and, uh, and meet with the president at least once every trip. Uh, we've had three trips. Uh, one, I went by myself with one of my assistants, the other two without a movement that I oversee called Christ Covenant Coalition, a coalition of apostolic leaders. And yeah, and uh, at first we were training um, Pentecostal leaders, and then we met with the leader of the evangelical movement, and through him we were able to do a conference for evangelical leaders. And two of my books are getting, one is already translated, uh, two more are getting translated in Arabic. We're giving them out. As a matter of fact, this book, The Global Apostolic Movement, I just got a price quote the other day. I need to raise like $6,000 to get about 500 of those books translated and uh, printed and given out to pastors. That book revolutionized that whole area. So we're really trying to pour into the body of Christ. Our movement has also adopted a few evangelical schools. We opened up a bank account. We're paying teachers, uh, and we're helping students with our money for tuition, as well as bringing tons of humanitarian aid. And so, uh, yeah, it's a Lebanon project. And next year, we're also going to go to Armenia and uh, help the pastors there. So uh, we're excited over what God is doing. Uh, we didn't make this happen. This was the Lord. This is a, a great example of being prophetically led. And then when you get to a place apostolically, the ministry uh, just takes shape uh, in, in bringing aid and, and having a plan that's consistent and focused and systematic. Yeah. It, it is. It is exciting. And, and folks, I hope you can hear these are not just numbers. We're talking about lives being changed, people coming to Jesus, uh, the, the needs of, of the poor and hurting being met. And, you know, I, I never thought of this particular analogy until just this moment. But I, I've thought over the years about how important it is for someone to really recognize their calling. You know, if someone's really a teacher and you've got them functioning as an evangelist, man, everybody's going to be frustrated. Or if you're really an evangelist and you've got this person just trying to, you know, teach didactic, you know, point by point lessons just for the believers, everybody's going to be frustrated. So it's important people recognize their their callings. It struck me like this, someone with a real apostolic calling, it's like you're playing an instrument in an orchestra, but you're called to be a conductor and, and a symphony writer, you know, and it's like, I, I, I'm not satisfied just playing this instrument. It's not an ego thing. It's a calling thing. And then when you're released into that, the whole orchestra gets healthy and thrives. So friends, I want to encourage you. It's not a matter of ego. I want to be an apostle. If, if you are called to be an apostle, God's going to crush that and burn that out of you before he ever uses you in those ways. Uh, as, as the apostles often, you know, leading the way are going to suffer the most and come under the most pressure and attack. But friends, I just want you to recognize that there's diversity in, in the, in the body. 
And, and there is great value in recognizing the importance of apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, and teaching ministry. And there are other aspects of ministry service, of course, that, that Paul addresses elsewhere in his letters and that we see examples of elsewhere in the New Testament. But these fundamental, in terms of leadership callings, it's just healthy to recognize them, to release people into them. And, and then as they thrive, then the rest of the body thrives and, and others get healthy. And uh, Joe, what's your website if folks want to find out more just about the broader work you're doing? Sure. It's josephmatera.org. All right. And friends, it's with two T's, josephmatera.org. We come back. Let's focus in on, on the statement that we helped co-author on NAR and Christian nationalism. So you can read it at NAR, NAR and Christian Nationalism. Com. If you're a leader, we encourage you to join the hundreds who've already signed it. We'll talk about some of the abuses, some of the concerns we have when we come back on the other side of the break. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I've got one more segment with my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Bishop Joe Matera, website Joseph Matera, M-A-T-T-E-R-A.org, and his new book, his magnum opus on the global apostolic movement and the progress of the gospel. So, Joe, you and I began to get concerned during all the the lead up to the 2020 elections with the the open prophetic voices all saying Trump's going to be reelected, etc., and we had plenty of friends that were prophetic that never said that, but there were the prominent voices were saying it. And we began to talk that if this doesn't happen, because we didn't know who's going to win, that there's going to be a lot of fallout. Uh, people are going to lose their faith. It's going to bring mockery to the things of the spirit. It's going to bring disrepute to the name of Jesus. So we worked and then with the help of other leaders put out propheticstandards.com saying prophetic ministry is valid, but here are abuses and here's how we have accountability. And then we both started to see, okay, there's this whole thing now, this alleged NAR, it's all, kind of all the aberrations and the charismatic movement worldwide are now grouped together under this heading of NAR. And now this is now grouped together with dominionism and political movements. And now, so Christians trying to take over the country and maybe by force, and they're all part of NAR. So we thought, okay, here's, here's another storm coming. Let's do what we can to speak the truth, to say, here are our abuses. Here's what we believe in about apostolic ministry. Here's what we do not believe in. And here's what we believe in in terms of a healthy Christian patriotism. And here's what's an unhealthy Christian nationalism. So when it comes specifically to, quote, apostolic ministry, Doug and Holly have their book on super apostles and all of this. So what are the main abuses that, that you and I agree on that we have both seen over the years in so-called apostolic ministry. And friends, you can read the statement again at NAR and christiannationalism.com. But the, the biggest ones, you mentioned them in passing before, but what would those be, the top on your list? Well, in terms of uh, the prophetic abuses, you have utilizing the prophetic gift to garner a crowd on social media without accountability, uh, just dropping words and then using it for a non-Christological function of predicting elections uh, that didn't seem to glorify the Lord in the way it was done. Um, and then uh, I've seen, I heard recently from my friend in 
South Africa, the one prophet went to his country and commissioned hundreds of apostles mm. in one trip. Yikes. Another um, guy that I met when I was in Cleveland, he's a pastor in Italy. He's helping pastors in a certain part of Italy. And he said that, I don't want to mention names, but some national leaders went to Italy, commissioned people apostles. And when he went back a year later, he expected it to be stronger. He expected the region to be stronger in terms of the church. And he said they were divided. They were territorial. They were fighting each other. He said it was a disaster. Um, and uh, so a top-down leadership, territorial leadership, where you're the apostle of the city. There's no such thing as the apostle of a city, especially a city as big as Chicago or New York or Toronto. There are many people in New York City who never even heard of me because there's different enclaves. There, there, are creation, uh, there are, you know, maybe Ukrainian apostolic movements and Haitian apostolic movements and, and some Russian apostolic movements. There's so many different enclaves in complex urban centers to say that one person is the apostle. I mean, another time, one of the people at ICA, again, I'm leaving them nameless right now, was proclaimed to be the apostle to the United States. How did that work out? So, <laughs> I mean, and then prematurely laying hands on Todd Bentley, and then not long after that, the scandal emerges. Yep. So there's just a lot of nonsense. And by the way, most of it, and most of the apostolic leaders we know are not involved in any of this. Agreed. This is the exception. I just want to make it clear. Um, but the uh, in my book, Essays on Apostolic Leadership, which I released, I think, in 2015, I talk about the abuses and the blessings of the apostolic movement way before Holly and Doug wrote any of their stuff. And in that book, in one of my chapters, I do say the new apostolic reformation. And so some knucklehead could look at that and say, you see, he's part of NAR. In those days, it wasn't the bogeyman. We yep. just use it as a sociological term like Peter Wagner used it to describe the phenomena that was not denominationally driven. So to say that I'm part of the NAR because one of my uh, you know, chapters mentions the New Apostolic Reformation is ridiculous. It's, it's, it's not understanding the context and yep. the evolution of the term. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. Yeah, and, you know, the biggest thing is if someone somehow thinks, okay, I have this name or this title that gives me authority over other leaders, that now, quote, I'm the apostle, and apostles are over pastors, so pastors don't have to submit to me, and I have this special authority as an apostle. I, can, I, can, I just saw somebody decree something the other day for everyone that reads it, no more, like, depression in their lives. Like, that'd be, that'd be sweet if you had that kind of authority, buddy. <laughs> Paul himself would never have done that. I decree no more, you know, let's just decree... No more war on the earth. Let's just decree it, it's so. So some of these things is just fantasy, but it becomes abusive when it's like, well, I am the man, and we know, we know in non-charismatic church ministry that there can be abusive pastors. It can happen anywhere. Leaders can be abusive in in any setting, but all the more if you claim this special anointing, and now not just an anointing, but the title apostle, because like Paul is an apostle, Peter is an apostle, I'm an apostle. So it, it, that, that self-proclaimed authority that I did, you have authority over leaders, you can dictate what local churches do, that's just bogus. 
And that's nothing that I've ever gone near in my life or would ever dream of thinking about, nor has it been anything that you've ever ministered. So we just, we gladly embrace apostolic ministry as God intended it and the word says it. And we see God doing amazing things around the world. And we clearly repudiate the abuses and we're not part of those, never have been. In fact, would you say in a sense, the apostle has to be the servant of all? Yeah, Jesus washed feet and he said, do likewise. So to me, apostolic ministry is the lowest of all the ministries because you're a foundation and you don't see foundations, you walk on them. They suffer the most and apostles of Christ don't just represent a denomination or a network. They represent the body of Christ. There's very few apostles of Christ in the earth today, possibly less than a dozen. Um, and so we throw these titles around and it's, it's ludicrous. It's superfluous. Um, and we, we have to be very, very careful. Uh, you know, you have some people, they got up and they decreed that COVID was going to go away. Yep. You had another one, call down angels to wage spiritual warfare so the election could be overturned. This is all foolishness. And where do we see this exemplified in Scripture? I mean, not even extrapolated in any principle in Scripture. So uh, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, we, that's why we wrote this statement, to primarily educate those in our own movements. We're not going to convert those who are gainsayers, maybe a few. But it's primarily to give discernment to those that are in our own orbits. That's that's our motivation. Yeah. Again, friends, read it at NAR, so NAR and ChristianNationalism.com. Just read it for your own understanding. These are things we've held to believe for many, many years. Again, this is not a response to a particular critic or group. This is us saying, hey, these are concerns we want to get out. These are issues we want to raise. These are things we want to reaffirm both on the apostolic ministry and, and on the, the idea of, quote, Christian nationalism. Is that a healthy idea, an unhealthy idea? Let's lay that out very, very clearly. And we got a number of several score key leaders, denominational leaders, uh, educators, professors, different things, and then hundreds of other leaders have signed on. So, Joe, we got two minutes, but what's the difference between an apostolic movement and a denomination? Well, all denominations first started off as apostolic movements. People like John Wesley uh, was able to garner huge crowds and bring a lot of people to Christ and disciple a lot of people. By the second or third generation, it was taken over by administrators who were not apostolic. And so whenever you go from a visionary to a uh, administrator, a competent administrator, uh, you stop apostolicity. So in order to have a permanent revolution, you need to always appoint apostolic leaders. And by the way, we always say apostolic. I stay away from using it as an office. It's more of an adjective that helps alleviate some of the abuse. Uh, denominations a lot of times will protect and focus more on the past and tradition, while apostolic leaders are really focused more on the present and the future. Uh, the denominational leaders a lot of times are focused on preserving what they have where apostolic leaders are constantly expanding and moving and growing. Now, some denominational leaders can be apostolic. Yeah. Uh, so, but we're talking in broad brush right here. Uh, but uh, yeah, there are just some, and a lot of times denominations are led by committees and boards, whereas apostolic leaders are led by vision. They're visionary leaders and then they may have a 
multiplicity of elders or leaders or other apostolic leaders they work with that they get consensus from, but they try to hear from God. Yeah. They don't invest on committees. So there's a lot of differences that we could talk about. That's in one of my chapters, good. by the way. Good, yeah. I, uh, friends, the book is really rich. Trust, trust me on that. The book is really rich, scripturally grounded, and it's super relevant because this is what God is doing in the earth today gloriously. Friends, you should rejoice. There are abuses, there's junk out there, there's exaggerations about abuses, but God is doing some real powerful, wonderful things. You should rejoice. The book, Joseph Matera, M-A-T-T-E-R-A, The Global Apostolic Movement and the Progress of the Gospel. The website, josephmatera.org. Hey, Joe, thanks for joining us. This has been rich and wonderful. All the success on getting the book out. Thank you, my dear friend. Keep up the good work. All right, God bless. All right, blessings. Another program powered by the Truth Network.